This episode of The Great Equalizer is brought to you in part by Kittyco, South Africa's cutest online store for personalized kids' products. This is The Great Equalizer, a parenting podcast about the realities of being a mom or dad in modern Jersey. We are your hosts, Sam and Charlene, and we believe we're all rocking the same kind of crazy. So let's get real, let's get honest, and let's have a laugh about the ups and downs of our current upside down. Hashtag no judges. This week on The Great Equalizer, hello pandemic 2.0. Or should I say, what the actual fuck 2021? Right? Plus... Sam comes to you live from the Upside Down. And Charlene has an Upside Down of her own. And we revisit the postpartum identity crisis. Hello. Hello. Finally. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, it's a miracle that we managed to coordinate this, but yeah, start when you're, even if you're not ready, hey? <laughs> exactly, and I'm not, I'm not ready. I've been navigating a newborn, and I didn't know if Ray was going to be home. I was probably going to be holding Noah. Um, he might pop in to visit for a feed uh, while we record. That's all good. I'm going to be good. late to fetch Elijah. People must deal. <laughs> Things are happening. <laughs> This is happening, and before uh, we properly, you know, get into our topic for today, I just need to start by saying how glad I am that you are alive, my friend. (laughs) So, (laughs) let's fill our listeners in, because nobody knows, nobody knows what you've been through, and uh, your upside down is, is quite a significant one, so... Take the stand, Charlene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the year's gotten off to a bit of a rough start. Um, I did decide this year that I will have no New Year's resolutions. I'm not setting any goals. Call me um, without ambition or a loser, <laughs> whatever you want. Judge me if you like. I just, I cannot bring myself I could not bring myself to set myself up for failure. Like start the, like I did last year, like this is a new year, new things. And then come March, the world became a trash can and you have have no control over it. So this year I was just like, it's just another day in my life. So I'll just wake up every day and roll with the punches until last week. Was it last week or the week before? Yeah. Two weeks ago. Almost already. Yeah. I, it was my mom's birthday and we went for dinner and came home and I had a bit of stomach ache and went to bed feeling a bit uncomfortable. But I have to say, I've been feeling a little bit under the weather for months now. Actually, my, st- my, I've had stomach ache for like the last two years and it's, I always thought it was like a little bit of irritable bowel syndrome or poor diets and that kind of thing. And I just didn't pay any mind to it. And you're just always, I'm too busy to fucking be sick, okay? So if it's not debilitating, I can still walk, I can still function, Mm. I'll take a bit of meds and just carry on living my life. Except last week, (laughs) that came to a grinding halt when I had uh, bad abdominal pain and uh, under duress from my husband, went to the GP. And Can I I just interrupt and say (laughs) 
that listeners, Charlene and I were chatting on the phone. We were like <laughs> conceptualizing and chatting about the show and basically having a meeting, you know. Um, and for about an hour before I get a text message saying, okay, well, this happened. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you failed to mention that you were doubled over in pain. And she, she well, gosh, she just I like took charges. some gen She's, pain. Oh my God. <laughs> I took some gen pain, okay. <laughs> so anyway, I wasn't trying to be tough. I just, I didn't, I couldn't believe that it was something pressing. It was obviously just another bloody stomach ache. And I just took some gen pain and wanted to get on with my life because it is frustrating to have to be sick. And so I went to the doctor. I remember sitting across from him. I'm like, doc, I'm here because this dude dragged me here. And I am sorry to waste your time. I'm quite embarrassed because I'm pretty sure you can examine me and just find that it's poor diet and um, indigestion. It's just like, so. you've got gas. Charlene, you've got you gas. Are like, like, why are you here? I, I hate sitting here and just like, I'm sick, but actually I just need to fart. <laughs> so... <laughs> So he says, okay, he'll examine me. Long story short, he finds a large mass in what he thought was my uterus. I start sobbing. He's convinced I'm pregnant. I'm like, I've been sterilized. He's like, let's just do a test to make sure because a lot of women have been sterilized and then they, they, they find out they're actually three months pregnant. I got a little bit excited when I got that text message. Going like, okay, she's going for a pregnancy test. Like, fingers crossed. This might be like well, a miracle baby. I was like, oh my God, I've got cancer. I've got cancer oh, in my fuck. uterus because why else would I have a major growth in my belly? And we've recently had a, a family member an, of an extended family member of one of my family members who passed away of cancer in her uterus that mm -hmm. spread. So I'm just like, I'm sobbing. I'm looking at the doctor. I'm like, what are you telling me? Is this cancer? Can this be cancer? And he's just like very non-committal. He's like, let's just do a pregnancy test. I'm waiting for the pregnancy test. And I think to myself, please let it be a baby. Please <laughs> let it be a baby. Anyway, long story short, multiple scans later, multiple doctors later. This is on the Thursday. Friday afternoon, I'm admitted to Sunning Hill Hospital for a procedure. I have to do a COVID test. Wait for the COVID test results to come back. Finally go into theater at like half past four in the afternoon. Doctor said it will be an hour two max procedure just laparoscopically to remove the mass I it, it, I shouldn't worry turns out there was a mass it started growing on my right ovary and it grew so big that it started there wasn't any more space and it started twisting mm. and turning so they call it a torsioned ovary and as a result cut off the blood flow and it the ovary burst and started hemorrhaging through while I'm doing some of the scans, they're like, there's fluid in your bowels. I'm like, fuck, fluid in your bowels. That's usually coupled, coupled with cancer. That's one of the symptoms of cancer. Did you know this? Or had you Googled it? I did know it before, having had family members who have had cancer or knowing of friends who had family who died of cancer. So it's like, it's like especially when you're in like the final stages of cancer, that's when things start going wrong and you know you just get fluid in your bowels and and your your organs start giving in and shutting down so that was quite bad and then I was like maybe there could be another cause for fluid in your bowel so let me just google it don't google it don't mm -mm. because it doesn't give you any other cause then you've got cancer and you're probably dying so and you, you had I actually went, texted me and I, I just have to say this quickly is that you you said 
I'm like, I told you not to Google. Well, I was going to tell you not to Google, but I knew you wouldn't listen to me. And you're like, okay, well, what if it's cancer? Like, I just need to wrap my, my head mind around, around if it, what's my if plan then. And I'm like, okay, well, just, fair enough. You, you got to, and that's how Charlene operates. You got to prepare yourself. You that's know? the thing because there's no, I'll be sad about it. I've got plenty of time to be sad about it and emotional and overwhelmed. If I cry, I'm sorry. I've, uh, I was a bit, it, it's been an emotional ordeal. Yeah. Um, so I'll just interject here and say it's not cancer so that everybody doesn't. Sorry, have to sit I just s- jumped the, I just jumped the gun. No, no, no. Yeah. Just because I'm thinking if I'm listening to this, I'm like, get you the fucking <laughs> point already. Are you dying of cancer or not? Sorry, yeah. So, just because I'm an impatient person, mm-hmm. there might be someone listening feeling the same way. So it's not cancer but went into surgery and um it was supposed to be not longer than a two-hour procedure that there were complications the doctor battled I was in for like four and a half hours in surgery they took me to surgery so quickly after my COVID test that I didn't have time to let Sam know or anybody Sam still texted well I didn't see the text because I was in surgery but when I came out eventually I saw her text saying how's the patient doing because she thought I was still lying waiting to go into surgery I literally could only send one text to Rhett before they took my phone as they were wheeling me into theater because I was hemorrhaging so that was obviously pressing and I'd already been hemorrhaging since the day before but they couldn't take me to theater until the COVID test results came back so when it did come back, it was like push, 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 happen, happen. Everything happened like in a split second. It felt like I was waiting for the longest time. And then all of a sudden I was in theater. And then I, I didn't even get a chance to like phone him, hear his voice, say goodbye to the kids. As they were wheeling me into theater, I was like, I hope I don't die in surgery. I mean, it's because... COVID. Like you'd, normally you would have your family there and mm, so give I'm alone. And, you Plus know, I say, know I'm bleeding internally. Yeah, exactly. I know I'm bleeding internally and I hope that it's not a question of they can't stop the bleeding or Mm. something else has gone badly wrong because, you know, it seems simple, but then once they open, it could be complicated, which it turned out to be. So it was a massive tumor in the end, which had calcified. It was about just under 400 grams, I think 300 and something grams sized tumor that had grown over my uterus and it it took over the space where my uterus and my ovaries and everything was, which was why I had discomfort in my bowel because it wasn't even a, like a squishy mass mass that if your tummy gets full from eating, it like makes an indent in the mass. It's a solid, it was like a calcified mass. So the doctor couldn't take it out laparoscopically because of its consistency he tried to saw it in half but couldn't because it was so hard and then had to cut me and open me up with my on my c-section wound and then battle to get it out because of its size so I didn't know at the time when he was taking it out that he sometimes apparently what they do this is quite grim is they mince these things up into like small pieces and then they take it out laparoscopically but he told me in my follow-up checkup meeting that he thought it was malignant and he didn't want to uh, mince it up in case it is cancer and then it spreads so I'm grateful I didn't know this until I saw him for my checkup because I would have spent the whole, whole week, week post up, oh like in yeah. agony. Is this cancer? Is this not? So I went to see him and he showed me photos of everything. He says, he walks in, he's like, Mrs. Armstrong, you survived. I was like, yes, doc, I did. He says, you gave me gray hairs. Oh, no, he said, he said, 
God is good. He said to me, I was like, listen, if the doctor says that, it probably means like, okay, I'm grateful that God was in that room with me because I, my life was kind of in your hands, dude. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is a very long-winded story, but everything's fine. The mass came back as benign. And I overall, I've still got some, my cut that I'm healing from and some bruising. But other than that, I have no abdominal pain. Hallelujah. I don't feel so bloated and uncomfortable. And just, can I just say, like, I was, I looked pregnant. I put on a lot of weight during lockdown, but I, I became so depressed because I, I just wasn't losing it. No matter how hard I was exercising, I started in September. I lost six kilograms. I was feeling better about myself, but my stomach was protruding as though I was pregnant. It was totally bizarre. Anyway, that's over now. So that's how my year started. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me. Listen, I, I have to say, because you speak, you sp not that you spoke too fast, but you like the, the sorry for listeners who like, I feel like they've been hit by a train. Um, <laughs> this will be unpacked further. That is why we're also not taking our time with this story and why we didn't do a whole fucking episode just on this because it deserves a lot more space. And so that's what, what we will be doing. I'll say no more. But there's a lot that we have to say around this and around a motherhood and what happened to you. And uh, like I say, I'm just glad that you are fine. Well, thank you. I, I mean, I, I might have given birth to a three, 400 gram tumor, <laughs> but you actually gave birth to a newborn. Indeed. So while, while my tumor was left at the hospital and I could carry on living my life recovery without having to, without having to breastfeed and wake up every two hours, you just gave birth. I did. Like three, three months ago, three and a bit months ago. Three so months. Does this technically you? mean that I'm out of the third, the fourth trimester? Because it feels it like the fourth trimester should last a lot longer, but <laughs> you know, I but I, yeah, I'm, I guess I am starting to see a little bit of the the clouds are starting to lift. There, there've been several times that I've been like, even in December, like November, December, let's get going, Charlene, let's, and you're like, when you're ready, Sam, and I just get to a point, and I'm just like, I can't today, I can't. This is a shit show, and even today was a shit show, and. Like I say, Noah might, um, you know, pop his little head in here and demand me to lift my shirt for him. Uh, it is what it is, you know. I don't know. I now today was the first time that I could. Okay, we're we're just gonna do it, and I'm and I feel fine about that. So mm. let me start. I guess at his birth, um, you you guys, I kept you guys updated and all the listeners updated mm. sort of about throughout the whole pregnancy. And obviously with COVID, there was all of that pressure and, and all of that. But coming into the birth, I, I, I thought I was fine until they wheeled me into that theater. Mm. And then I think it hit both me and Ray. Like I had said to you before, I'd said my goal, my first goal is getting to the theater, COVID, mm. COVID free. And healthy. Yeah, like baby steps. I'll, I'll stress in increments. <laughs> yes. So COVID-free and healthy and also groupie strep-free and healthy because Elijah was born with groupie strep. So I was just like, I just need to get to that goalpost, right? I, I want to just interject here. Sorry, I know this is your story and your, your experience, but I was so effing bummed for you that with your second pregnancy – 
you still had to deal with this kind of controversy because you went in with your first pregnancy and, and the birth was traumatic for you as a result of the groupie strep. And I was just like, when you fell pregnant at the beginning of last year. I was so excited for you for the second time around to be a wholesome <laughs> experience without any of that shit. So you still had looming in the back of your mind that, that Noah might have the same condition or you might have that same um, experience again. Also add bloody COVID-19. Yeah, it's, and, and the layers just keep on uh, piling on. Like, and I'll, I'll get to this a bit later, but the, you know, you're in isolation because you're pregnant and then you get mm. out of isolation, but you're in like a double isolation because, because COVID is still a reality and you can't welcome hordes of people to your house. So I, you and I haven't visited in person mm. with Noah. You haven't held him you haven't you you like briefly saw him once in my driveway and he was in the nunupai wrap like i was wearing him i mean that's it's fucked up and weird and and we just have to kind of soldier along you know so mm. I, I i don't know i think and this is how i experienced this birth is you get like i get automated you know how i handle stress and mm. how i handle trauma i it's one foot in front of the other. And that's how I was throughout birth. And a lot of people were like, you know, I had my emotional moments, but a lot of people were like, you know, you're really handling this well. And I'm like, well, I can't afford to stress. So mm, I have, have my like... compartmentalize it because otherwise the weight of it all just becomes too heavy. Yeah. So I have had my moments, but I think it was two months before I had a proper cry after Noah. And not even like day three when your milk comes in or whatever so so let me get into that it's been it's been three months like I say the clouds are slowly starting to lift but the first month I would say everything was was really I was like a robot um Noah was born everything went fine I I Ray and I both stressed a lot in that delivery room because we were just like oh fuck there's needles I could die in the surgery. This is like major surgery and we didn't think mm. this through. And I just thought to myself, I'm never doing this again. Never. <laughs> <laughs> not because of the pregnancy, not because of the child that comes afterwards, just because of that moment, those 40 minutes that you're in the delivery room when you're having mm. a C-section. I was like, I can't. This is, this is, and I forgave myself at a later stage for even thinking that I was copping out because I wasn't trying for natural birth or vaginal delivery, should I say. Um, yes. Because, yes, it's, it's, it's hairy. Um, <laughs> a cesarean <laughs> section, as you know now, because you've just <laughs> been through it, it's, it's hairy. And I, I joke, Ray almost fainted and almost threw up. He was on the floor for most of the delivery. Um, Is he queasy? Is he he's not nature? normally queasy. And I think, look... I've never seen my husband as stressed as he was during 2020. COVID mm. hit him bad. The enormity of the responsibility, um, him being responsible for us. And I mean, we got our wills in order and we got our, like all our insurances done and whatever, because Ray is, is even more terrified and even more anxious than me that, some, that the worst could happen with COVID. Mm. And that's that's really out of character for him, but it is what it is. And so I think he also realized when we got into theater, like I could lose my wife. This is, this is, I could very easily lose her. My blood pressure dipped quite low. We had to wait for it to get back up before they would cut. 
it's scary. It is scary. You're in safe hands, but it was a shit show. And I think it hits him hard. And I think that it's not the queasiness. It's not that I had this big injection put in my back. It's not that they cut yeah. me open. It's the thought of losing the me. overwhelming situation. And in that itself. something could go wrong. Mm. And I think it's also unresolved trauma from Elijah's birth. And yeah, Ray was on the floor for most of the, the delivery period. Anyway, Noah comes out and it was like a new feeling for me to have my baby on my chest and to be wheeled in to my room with Yeah, because you person. didn't have that with Elijah. Elijah got taken straight to, he got rushed to Niku, was um, intubated and put on oxygen and immediately cooled down. Um, I haven't really gone into detail with that on the show. Um, like we keep threatening birth episodes and... <laughs> I'm just not brave enough yet to do it. But I mean, I never, I had trauma immediately with Elijah after trying for a vaginal delivery and, and laboring for all that time. So with Noah, it was, oh man, I really was, I had that golden moment. We were left in the room alone with him and he was, you know, mucking for my, for my boob. And I was like, oh, we're alone now. I guess I, I have can, to, like, and it's within the feet. first half an hour. I can, what I, I can feed him and so I yeah. like got into position and I and he latched immediately and I had that golden moment and that euphoria and I and I kind of thought you only really have those hormones drop with a vaginal delivery but I had it I had that like amazing you yeah, know glowy no, that feeling for me also it was Josh not so much because I don't know the fuck I was doing and I battled with the breastfeeding but with Jay's second time round. You do, whether you deliver vaginally or not, it happens. Man, I did it was, the skin, whole skin to skin. Mm, it's wholesome. It's beautiful. So, so we did that. We had skin, we had a beautiful two days. Uh, Elijah was at his grandparents, so we weren't worried about him. Uh, Ray spent two days, full days with us um, in the room, and he did skin to skin, and I did skin to skin, and um, Noah fed beautifully and whatever, but he he had jaundice quite badly and he also had an infection and so he had to be admitted to Niku and like I say about the just being automatic about things um, I went to the bathroom and I came out and Ray looked at me and he was in tears and he said they're gonna take our baby to Niku and I just shrugged and I went okay that's okay and he was like are you all right and I'm just like well I'm better than you it's (laughs) And I had a lot of people going, well, you know, you can do this and you can get a billy bed. And you and I'm just like, you know what? This is what the doctors say. Whatever, step for step. The, and my thing is the less we fight and the more we just go step for step for step, the sooner my baby comes out. Mm-hmm. So it was a week and it's a week that I'll never get back. It um, was five days. but And it wasn't nice. It was extremely stressful. Mm-hmm. But I was I was automated. I once I came back home again without my baby, and I had to explain to Elijah, who was in tears, why his brother wasn't home. Um, you know, just one step at a time. And I pumped, and I delivered, and I held my baby, and I nursed him when I could. And we had our run-ins with some Niku staff, others, as usual, are, are lovely. And mm. it, it was like a week, you know, you. Yeah, and you just got to soldier on through it. There's no like, exactly. There's no way around it. And this, it has to happen. The same thing for once I got back. Once uh, Noah was back safe at home, um, it is easier with the second one. For anybody wondering, it's you. You do kind of know what you're doing. You have certain expectations. It's a different person, but 
I don't know. I felt like I was a lot easier on myself. I didn't. I I'm, I don't have any strict schedules or whatever. I'm, I just realized I'm not that kind of person. But what did start happening was two weeks in, I was handling everything. I was handling Elijah at home. I was handling two boys. Elijah wasn't at school. I was handling the housework, the food, the newborn. And I was recovering from that C-section. And now that I've recovered, I understand that that was so hard because I was physically unable. I shouldn't have been doing that. I should have been resting. So COVID prevented people from physically being able to come into my home and and help help you with those things yeah so Um, it was just the two of you and there was still a toddler mm. and then the baby so and elijah's been fantastic he's he adores noah he has had no ill feelings towards noah but they um a friend from school from elijah's school who also had a baby at the same time um, said it perfectly. She said, your child is going to adore their younger sibling, but they're going to not like you so much. And that's mm. exactly what happened, is Elijah really started to act out of character. He was home. I couldn't um, meet his demands as quickly as what I normally would be able to or spend that time with him because I had Noah now. And so it's a new dynamic that we have to get used to. Um, and of course he started acting out of character. And as soon as I just, as soon as we were at each other's throats, I said, okay, well now we're going to have to take our chances. We're going to have to get someone in to help with the housework and Elijah's going to go back to school. Um, and that helped immediately. However, (laughs) I felt like a huge failure and I know in theory it's not failing. And I know, I even told you at the time, like, why did I think I had to do everything? I don't understand. And then you feel like, okay, having both kids and the housework and um, healing from the C-section and, you know, just navigating this this whole new way of life. And then when you ask for, whenever I ask for help, I feel like I'm giving in and I didn't succeed. You're giving up. I'm you're, giving up, you're yeah. copping out. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think I, you know, you make fun of me all the time. It's my, it is my personality that I, I struggle to ask for help. Um, mm. but I'm f- married to someone like that as well, so <laughs> I, I still don't understand it. I just kind of surrender to it mostly because otherwise, I'm just going to fight with you guys every day. Yeah, to stop being like that. No, I, I understand. It's something that I work on, and I know that I have to ask for help more. Or um, as my therapist says. Don't look at it that way. Look at it as you're using the resources around you. Yes. You know. That's totally the way I would look at it. So I'm happy to go get a ready-made meal from Woolworths. Why am I not being hard on myself for not cooking it from scratch? Cooking. Because it's yes. the same yeah. thing. Like, yeah. okay, I've had two kids now. Humankind needs the village, right? We all mm. need actually need the village. We shouldn't be in isolation. One person recovering from birth shouldn't be running after a four-year-old and holding a newborn and recovering from this monumental thing that happened to your body. It is impossible. Don't think that you have to do it all. And yet, there I was. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, we'll get into this a little bit more as, we, as the discussion goes along. But I do think a lot of it comes from society I mean, I talk about society as a them, but there is this pressure from society that you're a mom. You've got to have this down. Yeah. 
You know, it's like when the dad does something, oh, look at what a great dad. He's, he's prepped the baby's meals. It's a fucking basic responsibility towards your child as well. So that doesn't make you a great dad. Yes, it's great that you're helping, but that just makes you a dad. Yeah. It just makes you a parent. Yeah. So I do think that for the most part, we don't give ourselves permission to not do everything all the time. Part of it, I think, comes from society's pressures. Yeah, you're looking at, like, I think, okay, it's just two children. I follow people on Instagram with four, you know, mm-hmm. um, or five or six or seven, really. And they yes, like, homeschooling are homeschooling and they yeah. got their shit down and they do extra murals and they're doing this and they bake. And then I'm just like, what the fuck? And you kind of, I can't not do that. that. Why am I so useless? Yeah. And not that, not that like, um, I'm not even actively going, if she can do four, I can do two. I'm not even actively doing that. I'm just like in my head, like the night before, but just feel the day with both kids. No, I go, I go, okay, I can do this. And then there've been a couple of days and then I'm like deeply embarrassed because Ray's got his colleagues here at the office, which is on our property. And I was decorating, I was doing a craft with Elijah, like it was supposed to be a bonding craft and I was decorating the Christmas. Your favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I love crafting so much and I had paint out. I mean, I've got a newborn in the house with a four-year-old and like a C-section scar, but Sam brings out the glitter and the paint. Okay, and now we're going to decorate the baggies that we're putting our Christmas presents in. And it's going to be like a bonding experience for me and Elijah. I I don't know what I was thinking. But then, you know, Noah's crying and Elijah's demanding my attention and I can't leave him alone with the glitter. And it just becomes this shit show. So I'm not going to lie and say I, I, I took on, I did take on too much and there was a lot of rage. There wasn't a lot of tears because I was on that like auto trail. Uh, the tears came, but they were few and far between, between. but there was, was more, mostly like rage. It was a lot of rage. It was this like martyr. I can't do it all. Or I've been doing everything or like, I, I don't fucking want this. I did not sign up for doing this all by myself rage which i know that a lot of um people can relate to it's it's especially now you know there's a lot of moms out there navigating homeschooling and bringing up their kids um and a lot of moms i know who are having to do new motherhood or um, early motherhood alone in the same way that i was so just know if you see, like yesterday I posted and I have been posting stories of me, like I completed a workout and I get a lot of DMs going, oh my God, you're a superwoman. And I'm like, ah, no, please. No, I'm really not. I was a dick to my kids today, like really badly. And that's why I went out for the run. The rage is real, folks. And I, and I did expect it. But um, yeah, I've been thinking a, a hell of a lot on just the postpartum experience. I, I went in prepared and I knew that there was going to be some stuff that I would have to navigate, if not freshly or like newly, I would have to navigate again and just go through it again and remind myself of everything we've learned, you know. Um, and there's a lot else that I want to cover. And like I say, I think that we will be unpacking this over the the course of the next few episodes but i i acknowledge that what i'm feeling and how i'm feeling isn't new right like 
when you're in it, and especially in this double isolation of COVID and then uh, the fourth trimester, you f- you feel alone and you feel like you're the only one failing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it's quite the opposite. Uh, I remember feeling similar feels around about the time we recorded our first episode, uh, our very first episode of, of TGE. That's right. That's right. Okay. So this is why I thought that it might be however useful to revisit a lot of we of what we discussed in our first episode. Please remember, what we say on this podcast can only be considered the gospel on planets Sam and Charlene, respectively. Our kids and husbands can be assholes and angels at the same time. And only we're allowed to say so. And lastly, by virtue of the fact that we are women and it comes naturally to us, we reserve the right to change our minds and or contradict ourselves whenever we so choose. And we don't want to hear a damn thing about it. Hashtag no judges. Let's start at the very beginning A very good place to start When you read, you begin with A, B, C When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi Do, Re, Mi Do, Re, Mi The first three Let's start at the very beginning Incidentally, that's my favorite musical of all time. I know, you love it. (laughs) I do it just for you. Um, So, yeah, you know, look, there's a lot that I want to get stuck into in terms of uh, societal expectations and postpartum. But I think because there are so many parallels with what we first discussed, um, I'd like to revisit that. In our first episode, we introduced ourselves and what TGE was all about. and in chatting about new motherhood, remind me, Josh was three? Mm, uh, no, Josh was uh, two. He had turned two in January. And so he uh, was Jess two, was Elijah mo- was one, and, and Jess was yes, still a baby. Jess was a couple of months old, yes. So that's where we were at. And um, now in having Noah, I'm experiencing what you had just experienced with Jess. Then, yes. And our first episode was based on a blog post that really resonated with me and with what I had explained to you was the TGE ethos. Um, and the blog is by Janelle Hanchett. It's called Renegade Mothering. And the post in particular is called I Became a Mother and Died to Live. Charlene, can you read it for our listeners? Because yeah. I think it's worth, we never read it the first episode, and I think I really think it's worth getting proper stuck in to, yes. to what, we, what we resonated with in this instance. Okay, so this is what Janelle writes. So I was hanging out the other day with a friend who has a newborn, a freaking gorgeous newborn boy to be exact. He's her first baby. She has recently become a mother. You know, when we hear those words, we hear them like it's no big deal. Become a mother, like you might become a doctor or become a pet owner, or if just this thing that it's just this thing that happens without anything else happening. It's just this exciting addition to one's life. You add this new thing and go about your business, like a new homeowner or a resident of a new town, a mother. But this particular transition comes with a cost, a big one, yet nobody really talks about it. 
And if you do talk about it, you have postpartum depression. I have an idea. Let's talk about it right here and right now and call it nothing other than a human adult reaction to a giant shift in identity, a presence of mind recognizing the end of an entire chapter of life, a heart mourning the woman that once was, a soul shaking under the weight of a new giant world. I've talked about it a little before, and in my case, I actually did have postpartum depression. And obviously, I'm not trying to say that having these feelings does not indicate postpartum depression. Duh. What I'm saying is that it seems to me that every woman who becomes a mother, no matter how much she loves her kid or wants to be a mom, will most likely at some point mourn the loss of her previous identity. And it will hurt. You're sitting in the house a few weeks after your perfect baby is born. Everybody has gone home. The help is gone. Your husband or wife or partner is back at work. Your belly is still sagging. Your boobs are exploding. You're bleeding still, maybe. But you're definitely leaking milk. There are big pools of it on your bed and couch and everywhere. You don't really sleep, but rather fade in and out of a half sleep alongside your baby, checking him every hour, acutely aware of his breath, as if it were a freight train roaring through the room. Do I hear it? Yes, I hear it. Breathe. His temperature, his blanket, he stirs and you're there. Boom, awake. You are infinitely connected. You seem to be melting into this tiny body. He wakes and you stare at his eyes, struck and dumbfounded at his beauty. You coo at him and notice the way he moves his mouth as if he wants to speak. What will he say? Someday he will speak and you know, you know him better than everybody else and always will. And you know when he's sleeping, you're there when nobody else is there. And you're watching him breathe so you can breathe and watching him sleep to drift into your own. And you're falling into a love you've never known. It's like quicksand. The more you struggle, the deeper you fall. Only you're not struggling because it's a gorgeous catastrophe and there's nowhere else to go. But you watch people leave too. You watch your husband go to work. You see friends come and go bright and capable with energy and direction, as if the world is still going on outside, out there, and you're isolated and stuck. As you watch them, there are moments, moments when you remember when you used to run around and visit people and live your life and work and be alone. You remember when your body was just your own and you were thinner and felt contained and like the owner of your boobs and vagina and life. You remember having a couple shots of tequila or maybe a cigarette with some friends and you did it like it was nothing, never knowing it was somebody who was going to stand like an old friend someday, a thousand miles away. You were 20, 23, 30, 35. You were free and young and somebody else. We were free and young and somebody else. But now... We're mothers. At some point, the reality will hit us. We are never alone again, no matter where we are. 
And we are the only ones in the world who have become this person towards this child. Yeah, that's right. I said it. Not even the dad. It's hard to put into words, but something becomes very apparent when a baby enters a relationship. There's something different between my relationship with this baby and everybody else in the world. I'm the only one who is the mother to this child 24 hours a day and will be for the rest of my life. I'm not trying to speak for everybody. Obviously, I'm speaking for myself and for my friends who I've seen living the same beautiful catastrophe. My husband always go back, goes back to work relatively soon after the baby is born. So his life, though obviously irrevocably changed, goes on in more or less the same way it was before. My husband's sleep patterns haven't changed. My husband's body isn't suddenly owned by a nine-pound nursing machine. My husband's vagina isn't, well... Let's change the subject. My husband doesn't have stretch marks. My husband did not give birth. My husband doesn't spend hours eye locked with the newborn, cooing and talking with infinite fascination with a ball of chub. My husband doesn't pick at the baby's head and eyes and ears like an attentive monkey. My husband didn't become a mother, but I did. And there are moments when I know There are moments when I look at the baby and myself and feel my body that isn't my body and wonder if maybe I didn't make the biggest mistake of my life because what have I given up? What have I done? Was I ready? Why didn't I appreciate my life more when it was mine still? What if I want to leave one day? I'll never be able to leave one day, ever. I've been the same woman my whole life. But what about her? Where is she? Is she just dead? Yes, she is just dead. Does that seem harsh? Well, it is. So is motherhood. Perhaps we can soften this whole thing by saying our identities are transformed or we are forever changed. But the fact of the matter is, that the woman you once were is gone and she will never come back, period. You can pretend she's not dead. You can even leave your family and act like a kid again and not a mother, but you will not be free and you will die under the weight of your lies because you know you're something else. And there's a little girl out there who misses her mama And has replaced her with a box full of notes and cards and memories and yearning. I'm speaking from experience. I will never live a single day as an individual. Always somewhere my heart will be beating for that child. Always somewhere, though I may not even know it, my mind has wrapped itself around her. Wondering how she is. Seeing a shirt or a dog or a book. She would love that. I miss her, 1,000 miles away, but tied. And so she's gone, that woman. Old friend who partied with you and spent hours absorbed in herself, her work, she's gone. That girl that lived for herself and maybe you for a moment, but always in the end for herself. And yet I'm still here. This is still me. 
I am untouched, unscathed, so maybe I have not died. If I died, how am I here nursing and changing and mothering this baby? Who's doing this work now? And who is she? I don't know her yet, but I will. I'll know the woman who wraps her baby against her chest and storms the world. I'll know the woman who goes back to work with one foot and her heart at, the, at home, always. I'll meet the woman who races to preschool to get there on time and holds little hands and chases kids in restaurant. I'll meet the woman who disciplines. I'll meet the woman who yells. I'll meet the woman who works to be better, who holds a child as it grows and grows and grows. And I'll meet the woman who does it a couple more times until she's the one sitting by a friend and a newborn, telling her it's all right, talking about death and rebirth of a mother, thinking, my God, I guess I've known her all along. Yo, I love that. Yo, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've got gooses all the way I'm reading it. I'm surprised I, I didn't cry. <laughs> I, saw, I almost started crying. I'm like, I, I think if I were to read it now I'd, out loud, I'd probably cry. And as, as we speaking, I've got my, I'm busy buttoning up my bra. Ray walked in and I gave Noah a little feed. And it's it's all very real. And I, I have to say this with a caveat before we go get further into this discussion that I do acknowledge um, these truths may not be truths for peop for mothers who um, did not give birth but perhaps adopted their their child. It may not even be true for mothers who have given birth. Mm. Um, you know, all our experiences are different, but this, oh man, this resonates in, in such a deep way for me. And like I say, I knew, I knew that this was going to happen and I thought I was prepared. And the, the weird thing about it is like, I, you know, I expected the, the train of new motherhood to hit. Um, but I, and I do think that I've been able to manage it a bit better, but it it still hit me with the same impact that, okay, Noah was born on the 18th of October. On the 17th of October, I was prepared, I was ready, I was I was Sam 2.0 because I, I had gotten to know that new Sam um, after Elijah, with Elijah, and grown into that new motherhood when I became a mother, you know. And I, and I thought, what I, I think what I didn't know I was uncertain of and what I now know to be true is I was uncertain of whether that reinvention would happen again. Because you, mm. once you become a mother, you, surely you can't become a mother again. Well, actually, mm. I think with every child you birth, you do. Mm. It, and I, I always think of something that my friend Amy says to me and something her pediatrician said to her is every mom-child unit is different. And you can't mm. expect it to be the same. So you can't expect, okay, now I know who I am post-Elijah. And I really like that, Sam. Well, cheers, bye. And so what I really want to talk about is, like, does that old self really die? Do we really need to die to give life? A friend of mine, like a, a listener who became a friend and, and someone I know, we were texting um, leading into Christmas time. Noah was going on two months and... Um, she was chatting about how she 
was looking at a different career path and I said well you're a whole new you right um you know just in conversation and she says yeah you die to give life and that made me stop and it made me think of this blog post and I'm like you die fuck that shit no no Mm. and everything in me was going no 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 this I hate this mentality so I want to unpack this and further unpack the postpartum experience. Do we really die to give life mm. in the way that you, in Janelle Hanschitz is saying in that blog post? Are we really like giving up our old selves and who we were to become mothers? You know, it feels like you're setting yourself aside and isn't that what we're reeling against? I also think, uh, yes, so even though... The, I can grasp the principle of or, or the con- the principles of the concept, and I did for a long time feel like that person was just gone, and will never be again. I don't think that. I think because death is such a for me a negative thing, mm. um, and at the end of the blog post, she does say she'll meet this woman who chases in kids in restaurants and and then she says I've known her all along and I just think that the truth is you I'm just going to interrupt if there's some noise in the background the kids just got home from school so I apologize they shouldn't be too disruptive but hey motherhood (laughs) anyway so I think that I don't know if I'm ready or if I, there was a point that I did think that that person is just dead and she will never be again. But as the last year or two has progressed, I don't think I'm ready to surrender to the concept of dying to give life because I don't think that that person is gone 100%. I think it's more, uh, uh, I've I've also um grappled with this a lot since I've become a mom and I just think that I'm just I'm a I'm a newer more complex version of that person so I don't think that she died because dying means that she's gone never ever to return again saying that I will never ever be able to drink a tequila with my friends again or stay up late or binge watch tv or party Yes, you'll never do it in that way again where you are not connected to these new human beings. And you won't be thinking about their well-being and your well-being on their behalf as you go out and go about your business. That's not that's yes. changed indelibly but, forever. But are we ever really, from one day to the next, the same version of ourselves we were yesterday? Even with no. even without kids. Yeah. Even without kids, because in life you read things, you're exposed to experiences, you you interact with people. Life molds you into a person that you become throughout your life. I don't believe that I will get to the end of my life and or even just being the same person ever. I don't think in 20 years from now I'm going to be the same person with or without kids. If I didn't have them, I would have still been a different person in 20 years than what I am today. There will be parts of who I was. And sometimes I have to bank those parts for a little bit so I can get back to them again. Um, And I think I have that viewpoint now because my kids are older. Um, And I I guess where the, the, the challenge comes in or the struggle comes in is to just give yourself permission to to take a sabbatical from that 
that former self. Mm. Um, mm. And maybe, maybe just take the bits because I don't, I don't love all the parts of my former self. I think maybe if we, if I were to put a silver lining spin on on this concept, I'd probably say I'm at, I'm in the fortunate position to only cherry pick the parts that I liked about my former self and bring those into the future with me is probably what I would say. I like the way that you've uh, packaged that, and I like I, I accept that. I accept that more than death to her because. I accepted it the first time around, but then who I became, and it's the Sam you got to know, and it's the Sam that all our listeners got to know, pre-October 18, 2020, Sam, I quite liked her. I was like, I was quite into her. (laughs) We were going places, and then Noah hit, and what, so she's dead? No, I think she's... Let me take a sabbatical from her because at the moment she's Noah's mom. But slowly Mm. but surely I can start to reintroduce certain things. And that's also why I'm sitting here now. Like um, my first love, uh, apart from from my children, um, will always be, or my next great love will be this podcast and Mm. what what we're doing um, with this work. And so, and it brings me great joy as hard as it is to fit it in, I was just like, I need to feel a little bit. You know when you reach that point in postpartum and after having a baby where you're like, I need to feel myself like again. Like myself, yes. Um, and, and so I gradually started chatting more with you about what we would do and, and making plans and then also started up my running and, and slowly but surely reintroducing those parts and reinventing them as well because navigating – this podcast with two children is not going to be the same and my writing work is not going to be the same and fitting in exercise is not going to be the same because there's double the little people to look after. Exactly. And, And like with anything in life, the same way you would have to navigate things differently if you were to move house and you live in a different area. You now have to find a new route to the same school that your children used to go to, or you change jobs. Mm. You now have to, you just fluidly move in and out between your former self and current self. And you, you just have to be resilient and try and find new ways of doing things. I, I mean, one of the things that I also battle with as far as this concept is concerned is that I'm, I, I feel like I'm mourning my form, former self, the grief of having to say goodbye to that old self. That, and that, that also is linked to, to a death, like a very final point of that no longer exists. And I'm not, I didn't know that I had to, to grieve that, that person as though it is a loss. And I, I refuse to do that because that means that I am no longer acknowledging that that person had value to add to anyone else's life. But yes. by the same token, by the same token, I cannot reject the person I have become since I've become a mother because that person adds value as well. And I have all these new experiences. I mean, this podcast, we call it the great equalizer because we say that kids, they, they're they an equalizer. They, they cut you down to size. They you you are just a person to them. They don't care if you're a celebrity or a hardworking mom or a nobody because your responsibility towards them remains the same. And kids 
they teach you lessons, things that you would never have been able to grasp or understand until it happened to you. And so we have this podcast now where we're able to channel that into, I suppose, a support as a support to other women who are in our position, who feel isolated, who feel like they've lost this themselves and who feel like that they'll never get to the other side of this, this challenging chaos. Mm, we always say, I see you, I salute you, you're doing a good job. And, and I think that's the, the podcast is just one major salute to, hey, this is, you know, when you're yeah. like reading a book and the, there's one sentence that's just like, oh, I've always thought that, but... Mm. Now I know that other people also think those so things. Think that. And so and that's also, where we're heading. I think that's that's what 2021 is looking like for the great equalizer. There's a yo, I'm actually quite excited for for I where mean we're too. going. And I mean I'm I'm glad that we're going back to the root of where all of this started because it's almost like this full we've come this beautiful full circle because it was the 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 birth of this podcast and I had also just had a baby and now again you've just had a baby so it's a it's a beautiful story to revisit and and to just talk about how these experiences change you and add value and I'm also thinking about the rebirth of of a, of a human being or of a person there's a there's not only a rebirth of yourself but there's a rebirth with your second child of you as a mother that we touched on just now, but also it's the only birth or birthday, if I can put it that way, just thinking about it now, you know, when you go, you're like 20 years old the one day and then the next day is your 21st birthday and everybody's like, you're 21 today. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I still kind of feel like I felt yesterday. Or you get married and it's this big event in your life and you're like so how's married life how does it feel to be married same and I'm like, as it, it was feels <laughs> same day it feels like it's the same thing the only thing that really doesn't feel that way is giving birth to a child fuck you're right you are you were you, so you, were you right. today i mean on the 17th of october you were your former self overnight you became your new self for a second time. Yeah. <laughs> and can we chat about – so there are a couple of things that I want to cover before we close off. Firstly, I want to chat about that moment, and you and I haven't uh, touched on this, that moment you, as a mom of two, as an almost mom of two, <laughs> when you're about to head to the hospital – this is barring like if you do home births or whatever, but there's a moment, you know, and for me it was my in-laws – came to fetch Elijah and my baby got in the car and drove away and I was like the next time I see you I won't there's also a bit of grieving in Mm. that you're that relationship that one-on-one exclusive relationship with your firstborn because when he returns it will no longer just be you and him and dad I mean I woke up I woke up, sorry, I woke up with Noah this early hours of this morning and I went and made myself a cup of coffee and I passed um, Elijah and um, Ray cuddling in the bed. So for the moment, Ray and Elijah are sharing our bed and I'm in the boys' room with Noah. Um, And I passed them and I looked at Elijah cuddled up close to Ray and I was just like, I craved that little body, mm. that little person. And I couldn't, because 
I'm breastfeeding. You're not, and you're not entitled to that experience anymore right. because you now yeah. have to show up for the new experience. Yeah. It, and I mean, it's, it's hard. And that's another grief in and of itself. So that moment where I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget when Elijah drove away. I was like, yo, okay, mm. this is... This is big. This is I've real. been soldiering like, on, but yeah, there's a, there's a new wave of something, and you're exactly right. It's a milestone, and your life changes forever. And it's not turning thirty, and it's not even getting married. It's yeah, it's a it's a whole other being coming in and transforming your life. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I when we got married, um, there was a. a piece that I had read prior to getting married and the officiant who married us read it during the the service and it it is so profound to me it and it it's one of the most profound things I've ever read and it I, I, I can't recall it exactly but the 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 wording exactly but it boils down to this is a moment in your life once you say these words to each other you go from being each other's friends, boyfriends, whatever you've been to each other up until this point, you are now entering into a new place because from year on forth, you will be someone's husband and someone's wife. Essentially, if it's your first time that you're getting married, you would have never, ever been that person to anyone ever before. Yet it feels very much the same. So the, and, and, it, it's one of those moments before you get to hospital, before that, like this is, it's the final countdown. It is now crunch time. This is it. It is happening. <laughs> that this Jessica day, it's happening. <laughs> and, and it is, there is nothing. I've never experienced anything in my life that is such a threshold in your life as becoming a parent. And it is you step over that little threshold and you become, you're still you, but you are not you and you will never quite ever be you again. Not just because of the struggles, but because of what these experiences with these human beings do to you, what they mold you into. You feel feelings you've never felt before. You worry, you think in a way you've never thought before. At which other point you get married, you think, Flip, I, I, I have to show up for this marriage every day. But the oak can still, he's a, he can function on his own. He's not going to die without you, you know? <laughs> Where our children will quite literally die without us. It's Exactly. No yeah, pressure. Yeah, no pressure. The enormity <laughs> is, is real. And look, the enormity and the societal expectations and our own expectations of what's motherhood is supposed to Mm. look like I always whenever we text or I show you like oh my god here we go again motherhood I always do it like in big caps with like a rainbow because you know it's supposed to be all squishy and pastel and it's fucking not it's not it's hairy and it's gory and it's gross and it's bloody and it's messy and it's um, yeah, it's, it stinks it's a real. It's real. And it's, <laughs> you and I have never been the type of people who only talk about the beautiful parts. And yeah. at the risk of sounding like we're these two agony aunts who just complain about something. Which we sometimes should be really I feel like we for. always are. I, I really do. I mean, we're, we love our, I don't want to even go there. I don't want to even say we love our kids, but let's, we love exactly. our kids and it's hard, you know? <laughs> but it's, yes, it's and it's hard. The, the point of, 
of the I mean, if I have to sound like an agony aunt, that's fine. But I my I've I will make it my purpose in this world and with this podcast to talk real and honest about my parenting experiences with other mothers. Because I don't I feel like we definitely don't talk about the reality of the matter enough. Mm. And and there are going to be good stories that we can tell. There are going to be funny stories that we can tell. And it's funny because at the end of this blog post, I mean, this this um, uh, author of this blog post, also Janelle, she also wrote a book. And it's called, I'm Just Happy to Be Here. And she says in a little write-up here about the book, I insist there's beauty right there. And a shitload of humor. A shitload of fucking humor. Because it's funny, goddammit. The whole thing. And I wrote that too. So she writes about how this thing that's happening to you as a parent, it's sometimes ugly and it's sometimes weird and it's, we don't talk about it enough. She also says in her blog post, let's talk about it here. Because yeah. society, if we're talking about the pressures of society, society is not necessarily a person. It is this image that has been created of this wholesome, beautiful, you should be grateful, which you should be. But sometimes there's going to be a mom somewhere in a situation where she's going to feel like this sucks. Mm. I, and the only I thing. I did not sign gonna, up for this. I signed up she's for. She's going to feel like, yeah. Certain things, but I, I didn't sign up for this. You know. Yes, I signed up for this wholesome, beautiful. I am so lucky. I'm so blessed. Hashtag blessed. Or I, maybe you signed up for 18 years from now when you're approaching older age and or you're approaching menopause and you, you've you, what you have signed up for is having this these beautiful teenage slash adult that kids you've molded into wonderful human beings maybe yeah, that's, that's what you signed up for you but you had to make it through the trenches first to get to that point yeah so every what everybody signed up for is different but i think because of the way this glorious beautiful thing called motherhood has been portrayed in society we often forget that we do not have to hold ourselves to those standards because when you look at a movie, you only see the highlights real. Mm. You, you only see, see the, the, the montage of when they're succeeding. You don't see that. Exactly. Moments, I mean, yeah. if it's a shit movie, you're going to watch the trailer. <laughs> I've watched trailers of movies and I was like, oh my God, I have to see that. You watch the movie and you're like, oh, that was a bit meh. All the good you know? parts were in the trailer. Exactly. Like yeah. I could have just watched the trailer <laughs> and carried on living my life. So sometimes motherhood is that for you, mm. you know? And I think we, we pay too much. Um, we give society and those pressures and that concept. I think as mothers, we give it too much rope because that's why I, I, I dare say, essentially, Sam, when you were in the thick of this new upside down, you felt like a failure, like, like you were copping out by returning to some level some degree of 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 normalcy if in inverted commas yeah wasn't that your the, family like, uppermost level of level five lockdown with my kids and my new baby mm. <laughs> yeah exactly uh, so there, there are two things two truths for me and and please listeners bear in mind that these are my truths and my experience of of um postpartum and the fourth trimester and I don't want to discredit or, or not acknowledge that other people feel it differently. So firstly, firstly, it's the fact that, um, okay, I did say I had this golden moment that when, I, when Noah first latched. 
And I think we'll revisit breastfeeding sometime soon. I think that's that's necessary. But what I have to say is I've, I've had a really easy breastfeeding journey with no one touch wood so far. Really nothing out of the ordinary like uh, the struggles that I had with Elijah. But that moment, that golden hour, and even the first two days that I had until he was taken from me to Niku, those were like special and whatnot. And I don't want to uh, discredit that, but I do want to say that that overwhelming love, like in our first episode, you talk about it's not like cake where you only have so much love to give. It like it it just, it's just a bigger cake. It's just a bigger cake. Yeah, I didn't struggle with it. I kind of rolled with the feeling, so I wasn't beating myself up up about it. But I have grown in my love for Noah. Mm. I did not love my kid. I didn't reject him. I didn't, but it was very automated. It was just like, okay, you need a feed now. Okay, nappy change. Okay, sleep. Uh, rinse and repeat. That's what the f- the fourth trimester was for me. This overwhelming, oh my God, I'm in awe. Those moments happened, but they were only moments in amongst the the everyday slog of being a mom you know, and, and just putting my one foot in front of the other. It wasn't this, I'm just in awe and I'm going to bask in this newborn glow. No, it was not like that. I now find myself looking more and more at Noah and just marveling at his little toes or looking at his little smile and really looking, we're looking at each other because he's now interacting with me. He's going on four months mm. Mm. and, you know, he's three and a half months and, and now he's, this, just this morning I caught myself, we were just staring at each other and like making eyes at one another. That didn't happen for me at first. So I want to say that. I want to say that I grew into my love for Noah. And thank God I'm not, I'm, I beat myself up about a lot, but I, I am not beating myself up about that because I know he's my child and I know I will love him in exactly the same way as I love his brother. Um, and I do already, I'm sure, but I'm not... Another friend that I I was talking to, um, you know, another postpartum mom, she says it completely differently. And she's just like, I'm just in awe of this little person and what I managed to accomplish. And, and I'm just like, eh, good for you. I don't feel that way. I'm a lot more pragmatic in this. Is it that first that person's second child as well? No, it's her first child. Okay. So and that it's a different brings- experience. She had a home so birth. The, it's a different experience. A totally different so- experience. So why can't we hashtag normalize... That motherhood isn't the same for everybody. There are for a lot everyone. of similarities and there's a lot that resonates. But it's not the same for everyone. And I think it would take the pressure off if we acknowledged that. That no relationship, exactly. no mother-child unit is the same. It's like running a race, a marathon or a racer or whatever, with a whole bunch of people in that race. You're all running in the same direction, essentially, to reach the finish line. But you're all going to reach it at a different point. You're each going to have your own pace. You each run in a different pair of tackies. Mm. You, you each slept differently the night before and nourished your, your body differently. Of, mm. Exactly. Your experiences of the actual race, like this uphill was hard for me. It seemed easier for the person next to me. I hurt my ankle on that downhill. You're going to get to the end, not even all at the same time, but you will be able to look back like at the end of this COVID 
thing, if there is ever going to be an end, I mean, I don't think it'll ever be a finite end, but we will get to a point where, where things look different to what they look now. You'll be able to look to your left and to your right and be like, we've shared this experience. There's camaraderie in this shared experience, this life experience, even though it doesn't look the same or feel the same for everyone. You can like just give that almost like um, a Hunger Games salute to be like, mm. I-, I feel you. Mm. I I don't feel you down to the T, but we have. I see you and it's valid still. Yeah. Yes. We, we've been through similar experiences. We ran that race. So um, I want to close off with one anecdote. Um, and it's something that really hit home for me the second time around. And again, I don't want to discount um, anybody's postpartum depression experiences because I have experienced depression and been medicated for it. So that's not to say that I'm against medication per se. So hear me out here. Yeah. And that's it. With my first born, with Elijah, I, ha- I definitely feel like I did have postpartum anxiety. And I wasn't myself, but I don't think anybody's their self after giving birth. You don't sleep. Mm. You mm. Are, like I barely find time to eat uh, these days either. And you're just getting used to this whole new normal. Um, and the first time around, and I have to say, like it's it's been both times. It's been my mom-in-law who's triggered that moment for me. And I don't have a, the usual mom-in-law who you know you you love to hate. My mother-in-law is lovely. Um, mm. And we get along we get along just great. But um in the first time round with Elijah, I was just like, This kid and I were not seeing eye to eye. He was struggling at the breast and you know, there are just certain times where you are touched out and you just want to hand the person over and it's this push pull of you handing the baby over and you're like, Get him the fuck off of me and then as soon as he's with another person you just want him back again. You're like, no, 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 I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> it's it's a, it's an awful push-pull. And I think you experience it throughout um, the first few years especially. So I had that. And I was grumpy and I was grouchy. And I was not my usual Chipper Sam self. Um, and my mom-in-law said, you know, there's no shame. Maybe go and get some help in terms of medication. Maybe you, can, you need it. Mm. Then I... Um, was in company with you. You were hosting a talk, a sleep talk. And it was that particular time that Elijah was very fussy. He was in the four-month sleep regression phase Uh. badly and he was crying. And I just, I'd had a bad night with him and I just burst into tears. Um, We were chatting and this woman looked at me and said, do you often cry when your husband comes home? And I was like, yes. And she said, um well, best you sort yourself out now and get medicated or something so that you stop crying because your husband you're going to see that your husband's going to start working longer hours. And I took it to heart and you, in your position, had to keep your mouth shut. You couldn't really say, um, hold the phone, you know. <laughs> and also <laughs> the discussion was between me and the other woman. So um, be that as it may, I, I now know, like, I don't have to listen to everybody, even if they are professionals. I don't need to take to heart what people say. even exactly. And even if it's my mother-in-law who's well-intentioned. And I just think, like, instead of chatting to a therapist, A, and instead of um, 
taking an hour to myself a day to exercise or to eat well or to just be by myself or read a book or watch a, a series, the, my first port of call was medication. Now, like I say, I'm not against medication, but I know myself and I know that if I had implemented some of those things, maybe I wouldn't have needed maybe. the medi- medication. Yeah. It wasn't the end of my world, but maybe I wouldn't have needed it. And why did mm. I need that medication? According to quote-unquote society, I needed that medication because my mom-in-law wasn't used to seeing me not cheerful. Mm. My mom-in-law wasn't used to seeing me not smiling. This woman saw me crying and said, no, that's socially unacceptable. As a mother, you need to be more put together because when your husband comes home, you need to have a smile on your face. And that this goes so much deeper in what we and how put together mothers are, quote unquote, supposed to be. And in having no postpartum and and, and beyond. Or at any given point, yes, exactly. And having had Noah, the first time my mom-in-law came, they came to fetch Elijah for an overnight stay and I was feeding Noah and I was buggered and tired and not feeling cheerful, not feeling depressed. Um, But just exhausted it was i was two two three weeks into new motherhood and i was like fuck this shit i don't like it i don't like how it feels yeah i don't know if anybody barrel of laughs yeah so uh, my mom-in-law walked in and she was just like oh he's feeling so nicely and how are you feeling and i was quite short in my answers and quiet and reserved and i hadn't fucking slept for more than like two hours for a week you know or more than two hours at a time and I, uh, I wasn't myself, but of course I wasn't myself. What do you expect? Mm. And I want to go back to Sam, who was in tears, you know, in your company and after that sleep talk and with that professional telling me um, I need to sort myself out or my husband's going to… your marriage is going to fail. Yeah, um, I wish I could go back to Sam and say, be like, no, fuck this shit. You're allowed to cry. God damn it. You're allowed to be vulnerable in front of your husband. And you know what? He's the type of person that should also stick by you and accept that you're not going to be yourself. The patience does not need to reside with the mother. The patient, everybody else in the world needs to be patient for the mother. Needs to be patient with you. That's what needs to happen. You know what also frustrates me about this this thing, this pressure that we put on ourselves that society kind of brings into our lives is that we're – you're perceived as a certain individual and therefore you're expected to a degree if you if you act in any way outside of of that person that you are mostly then there's something wrong or something untoward or you mm. need help or or you're not yourself i am myself there are varying degrees of myself i Call it multiple personality disorder if you like, but it's not a disorder. It is just that I have different personalities depending on what has happened to me. And depending on how hot the, the pot of water is that you're sitting in, right? Exactly. I'm, I mean, you haven't slept. Someone, you're not going to be yourself. You've, you... Someone dies. Someone dies yes. and you, 
the whole world is like, well, considering what she's been through, shame, man, of course. <laughs> exactly. Let's just be, let's let's just be, be patient, pa- with, patient with the person. You get married. You're like bridezilla. You're under pressure. You know what? It's understandable given the pressure she's under. You change jobs. You lose your job. Big things happen in your life. You know what? It's understandable given, given the pressure uh, she's under. You have a baby? No one's patient with no, you. No, you need to be a big, what? big ball of fun. And, you got to put and your you big be hashtag on grateful because you're yeah. a mother now. You're yeah. a mother now. You need to have your shit together. Yeah. Why? So, <laughs> so you and I chatted at around that time, and I was just like, I'm seeing people uneasy with how I'm behaving, and I'm going, "Fuck you." I'm you fine be, with how I'm behaving. I'm fine. Thanks. You be patient <laughs> with me. I might be a bit yes. right now. I might not be as cheerful and chipper and talkative. I might never respond to my messages for the next decade. You be patient with me because I'm a new mom. Okay, so what's the bottom line? Well, I guess there's, I mean, there's so many concepts that I could wrap up as the bottom line, but I, I think it's the same one. If I think back of our first episode and what we discussed, then it's still the same. It's still the same for me. I think it's important that we give ourselves permission to just be the version of who we are right now, Mm. firstly. And secondly, you don't have to say goodbye to your former self permanently. It's just a season. Everything in your life is just a season. This is just a phase. The same way the breastfeeding is just a stage and the nappies are just a stage and the potty training will be a stage and primary school will be a stage. It's all just a stage. And not being able to... Uh, sit at poolside and read a book without having an eagle eye on your kids you know a lot of people with older kids remind me like one day you'll be able to do that they'll Mm. be jawling in the pool and you won't even worry and suddenly Mm. suddenly you can read a book Mm. next to the pool i mean that for (laughs) us right now that's like oh that's never gonna fucking happen you can't even sit like there's no, no way. Will I ever be, you can't even sit on the toilet and no, read a book because your, your toilet that. breaks get interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> I love that um, Janelle Hanchett in that uh, blog post, and we'll link everybody up, of course, to, to this blog post again. Um, I love that she calls it a beautiful catastrophe. And that's life, right? It's not clear cuts. It's, it doesn't look perfect. It is not Instagram perfect, folks. It's not a highlight reel. It's a beautiful catastrophe. It's a fuck up and it's my mess, you know? Exactly. And if you think about just the definition of catastrophe, it is a very significant happening in a, 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 at a moment in time because it is, it, I mean, it's not catastrophic that it is just negative, but it is a very significant moment in time and it, and it has its beauty. There are things that, that, I mean, if you look at a, a hurricane or a something, like a natural uh, disaster, if you were to just 
detach yourself from the sadness and the, the, the loss of life and the damaging effects of what, say, for example, a natural, natural disaster could be. If you were to just look at it away, step away from it a little bit, then you look at like a hurricane or a tsunami in the way that the water and the wind moves and how chaotic it is. If you say you're an artist and you look at the lines of the movement of the wind or the way the water falls, there is probably, if you can allow yourself to find beauty in absolutely everything, but with most things in life comes sacrifice, sadness, difficulty. And it is beautiful because it, it, it turns you into a person that you never knew you could be. So I really loved what you said about um, becoming that and that we're in the fortunate position as moms and as people who were reinvented, you know, in the course of a day. I, um, I really loved what you said that we can cherry pick perhaps mm. the, the things that we loved about our former selves and bring that into this new invention of who we will become. And it's so funny for me because, I mean, coming off the back of last year, so last year this time I had just read Michelle Obama's Becoming, her biography, autobiography, mm-hmm. and and coming off uh, the back of New Year's 2021, I've just finished Glennon Doyle's Untamed. And I know, I'm under no illusion that it is very um, – middle-aged white woman Karen of me to be like oh my god have you read this book guys (laughs) but have you read this book guys (laughs) it's me leaning into the Glennon Doyles and the Michelle Obamas of the world it is very like I'm seeking to to become and to chisel myself into into a woman and to that that emulates a lot of what they're saying it's just leaning into what I resonate with and your I there's been I, I think I'm going to be sharing like a ton of snippets I've been I mean last year happened and 2020 happened but there was a lot in in Michelle Obama's book Becoming that I wanted to play on the podcast that I will still share with everybody and same with Untamed so um, you know, heads up, I'll probably be doing this and, and sharing a lot more about that. But all, all of those, both of those texts and a lot of texts like it, a lot of books like it, and um, people along those lines, they're all about the who you are becoming, acknowledging who you were and just realizing that this, the, I mean, it's it's so cheeseball, but that life is a journey and that you don't need to just stop at this point. So yeah, right. I think that's the bottom line is I became a mother and died to live the whole thing the whole premise is I I died and but we're going actually no you became and you will continue to become it's a rebirth and in and in uh, evolving if like a like a, a caterpillar you know the the transition that caterpillars uh go through um and the metamorphosis which I honestly believe if you I mean I mean just to touch on on uh, 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 Michelle Obama's becoming, I only watched the the documentary and didn't read the book. But she talks a lot about how she uh, what she did in her life before the presidency and how her career and the things she aspired to and wanted to do was 
she had to take a sabbatical from those mm -hmm. things and those goals and those things. It doesn't mean that she will never be Michelle Obama with her goals, goals and hopes and dreams and things again. She just had to take a sabbatical from them to wait for the time, the prime moment in time for her to revisit those things. And how great for you to be able to revisit those goals and things that you wanted to achieve with newfound knowledge mm. and experiences to to help you head into that direction so this is where we're at guys this is where i mean we're, we're in different life spaces i think charlene your kids are are becoming full-blown kids and i'm still now going to be in the thick of nappies and and all of that for a short uh, space and time but this is where we're at in in terms of our headspace and so i think that there'll be a lot more of this to come in the coming episodes on the great equalizer as we navigate pandemic 2.0 and perhaps perhaps 3.0 and 4.0 oh god no please i can only handle i couldn't even handle one two is where i draw the line oh well, yeah I, look i think we're in it um, uh, for a while it's that's we, we call this the new normal as well so um for now we'll still be recording every um couple of weeks not every week mm -hmm. like we like we used to and we will be taking a break in between school terms fingers crossed school terms just remain as is for us um with our kids still yeah. in ecds in our episodes we'll be delving a little bit into more of, of what we've discussed in this episode and so hopefully you guys enjoyed it and hopefully you'll stay tuned um we're looking more at our identities and how social media impacts on on our identities and some darker thoughts about motherhood so we'll be getting quite serious and um we're trying not to be debbie downers but we're also trying to be realistic and to mm. acknowledge people who might be having some darker thoughts and thinking that they're not that they're alone in it, you're not. Mm. A sex again is coming up with our annual maintenance night episode. Um, how to how to have sex during a pandemic when God. your kids are at home twenty four all the time, yeah, <laughs> all the time, <laughs> <laughs> and you can't ship them off to the grandparents necessarily for a romantic night in. <laughs> Listen, I've Elijah loves his iPad, and I recently invested in some headphones, so it's worked wonders for me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we'll be looking at some of the lighter and more pragmatic stuff as well, like breastfeeding, weaning, um, maternity leave, and UIF. We wanted to delve into potty training. There's so, and there's a lot else that uh, we can't talk about just yet. But it's it's all so exciting, and it's all on the list, and I'm excited. So I hope that everybody stays tuned. And of course, if there's anything you guys want to talk about, you know, to get in touch with us. Um, so Charlene, how about we keep talking? Exactly. Uh, there's a lot to cover and we want you to share with us your thoughts or any topics that you would want us to cover if we haven't got them on our list already. You know this, listeners. Um, if you want to chat to us or weigh in on anything, if you want to be a Debbie Downer and rant and cry and swear and laugh, we're experts at that. So you can just DM us a voice note on Instagram at The Great Equalizer Podcast or you can record one on your phone and send it to us on email. Our email address is info at the great equalizer also please feel free as always to follow us on instagram or facebook and to tag us in your posts or, or dm us and send us um some posts you love and uh maybe it might be some topics that that interest you that you you'd want us to chat about please hit us up and engage i'm 
Almost always on there. Yeah, your support's super important to us. If you are on Instagram and you don't see updates from our page, just go to our page and like a couple of the posts so that the algorithm can pick up that you are interested in the stuff that we're putting out, which means it'll show up in your newsfeed more often. And then you'll get regular reminders of when our episodes are available and live. And there's also an easy link then on Instagram for you to access the latest episodes if you are not getting updates but um you need to also please share whatever you you find interesting that we're putting out um every comment every share every love every like it makes our lives so much easier to see that we're making a difference in your lives and it's important for us it means the world to us so please keep it coming and again please don't forget to review us on apple podcast or rate us on facebook and hit the subscribe button. The more we're seen and the more we hear from you, if you write a review, good or bad, it gives us insight into where we can improve or what is working for you. And it gives us some insight into what our audience needs and, and is liking. And the more that happens, the more we'll be seen and the better this podcast can grow and do and we'll be better for you. And so, Charlene, that's it for this week. Until next time. Keep, Keep your, your mom, mom game strong. For more on today's show, please head on over to our website at www.thegreatequalizer.co.za or catch us on Instagram at The Great Equalizer Podcast or on Facebook. If you want something a little more personal, email us at info at and we'll get back to you.